When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sip on the go with a Starbucks iced shaken espresso. Our signature roast, shaken with ice, then finished with a splash of milk. Customize it to match your style on the Starbucks app. Make today a good day. In the history of songwriting partnerships and popular music, there are a handful of duos that deserve special recognition. Lieber and Stoller, Mick and Keith, Lennon McCartney, Jerry Garcia, Robert Hunter, and the odd and extraordinary partnership of Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, would you rather be Bernie or Elton? That's the age-old question. I'm really excited about today's episode, in part because it's an excuse to talk some of the highlights of this incredible collaboration between Elton John and his longtime lyricist, Bernie Taupin. And to dig into the concept of being overly famous and not being able to go anywhere and rich versus rich, but being totally anonymous in the world. So that's the other thing that another way to ask today's question is, would you rather be the one in the spotlight or the one in the writer's room? Yeah. Clint, off the top, do you have an initial feeling about what your answer is going to be to this question? I think that when I was younger, the answer was definitely Elton. But as I've grown older and realized what the industry is and what it can do to you and what kind of toll it takes on you, I think at this point in my life, I would just love to be Bernie. Oh, just a dream come true. That being said, a little spotlight, you know, a glimmer of the spotlight would be nice. What about you? I don't want people to think that three minutes into the episode, the debate has been settled. So I'm going to hold my answer to the end. But I think you can probably guess what my answer is going to be. Oh, I know what your answer is. I'm just waiting for everybody else to guess. (laughs) So one obvious question for a casual listener. I mentioned this to my wife. I said, Kimberly, I'm interested. Would you rather be Elton or Bernie? And A, she thought I was talking about Bernie Sanders. (laughs) B, when I said, no, it wasn't Bernie Sanders, it's Bernie Taupin. She said, I have no idea who that is. Who? (laughs) So this is the question that some of our listeners might be asking. Like, what are they talking about? Uh, It's time now in the program to introduce my partner and lyric writer, Bernie Taupin. He's probably more important than me when it comes to writing the songs because he has to write the words before I write the music. So can I have a... A warm hand, please, for Bernie Taupin. Let me give some backstory on Elton and Bernie's collaboration. In 1967, Bernard John Taupin was 17 years old. He answered an advertisement placed in the New Musical Express, which was a London music paper. The ad was from a tiny record label called Liberty Records. Liberty was seeking new songwriters. At the same time that Bernie Taupin answered this ad, a 20-year-old piano player named Reginald Dwight, who would later change his name to Elton John, also answered the ad. When the young piano player told the A&R man, Ray Williams, that he could write songs, but he wasn't good at writing lyrics, Ray Williams handed Elton an unopened envelope of lyrics 
written by this kid who'd been in earlier to drop off his lyrics. Here's Elton on the Howard Stern Show describing that moment. Um, and then there was the pile of lyrics on the, the table, and he just picked an envelope, gave it to me, I opened it on the train, and there it was burning. It could have been any lyric that he gave me, but happenstance was, and that's why my life is so incredible, that it happened to be burning. And it worked out. It could have, I could have been writing with Fred Smudge, um, <laughs> and it wouldn't have been burning. It's been the longest relationship I've had with anybody, really, except my family. Out of all the craziness went on, there was Bernie. He was there. He was there. He came to the treatment center. He gave him the lyrics. He did this. He did that. He was the thing, the glue that held me together. Even though we weren't together, living together, I'm so lucky to have had that kind of a relationship with someone. You know, you don't have to be around someone all the time to be best friends. We're best friends, and the distance between us has kept us close. For the next few years, Elton and Bernie were staff writers for the legendary publisher, Dick James. Their process, Bernie would write the lyrics, usually in under an hour, hand them to Elton, who would write music to them in about half an hour, <laughs> disposing of the lyrics that he couldn't come up with something quickly. In 1969, Elton and Bernie had developed songs for Elton himself, rather than as staff writers for other artists. Mm -hmm. The album was called Empty Sky. It was Elton's debut. The album includes the song Skyline Pigeon, which Elton described as the first song Bernie and I ever got excited about that we ever wrote. Mm -hmm. Of the songs on that first album, this song is the only song that Elton ever plays live and he would actually re-record it for his 1973 album, Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player. Turn me loose from your hands Let me fly to distant lands Over green fields, trees and mountains Flowers and forest fountains home along the lanes of the skyway. Things began to pick up steam for Elton in 1970 with his self-titled album, his debut release in the US. The album was nominated for a Grammy for Album of the Year, and it includes Take Me to the Pilot. Take me to the pilot of your song. Take me to the pilot. Border song, which I love. Love. Holy Moses, I have been removed. I have seen the specter. He has been here too. Distant cousin from down the line. Brand of people who ain't my and one of their earliest collaborations, written in the parlor of Elton's mother's apartment, a song called Your Song. It's a little bit funny This feeling inside I'm not one of those who can easily hide I don't have much money But boy, if I did I'd buy a big house where we both could live. Here's Elton on how quickly that song was written. Written in the space of 15 minutes, is that correct? More or less, yeah. I mean, I, I, I write pretty quickly to Bernie's lyrics anyway, but that was such an inspiring lyric to get. And it was probably the first great song we ever wrote. I mean, we've written Skyline Pigeon, which I love, but your song... I knew when I wrote the melody that it was a pretty good song. So, yes, it, it was quickly written, and um, thank God it was. And you can tell everybody This is your song It may be quite simple, but Now that it's done I hope you don't mind I hope you don't mind That I put down the world how wonderful life is while you're in the world. We were living in the same apartment with his mother in uh, Northwood Hills, so we, we shared a room there. And um, 
So during the day, I would write in the bedroom, and he would be uh, writing in the living room, the stand-up piano in the living room. And so I'd just sort of come down the hall with a sheaf of notes and, and lyrics and just plop them down on the piano, and he would start working on them, and I'd go back and work on some more material, and then I'd hear, get the shout from down the corridor, you know, come listen to this. So that was really how all those early songs were formulated, and that's certainly how your song came to be. This album catapults Elton John into the collective consciousness, and from there, his legendary career would go on to include 31 platinum albums, over 300 million records sold worldwide. Of the many songs they've written together, Elton and Bernie collaborated on an incredible 22 top 10 hits, including Rocket Man. And I think it's gonna be a long, long time Touchdown brings me round again to find Leave On. And he shall be leave on And he shall be a good man Crocodile Rock. Honky Cat. Tiny Dancer. Candle in the Wind. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Benny and the Jets. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's. While Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's, sons of bankers, sons of lawyers, turn around and say good morning to the night. Don't let the sun go down on me. Bitch is back. Daniel. In 1970s, your song, their first hit. And you can tell everybody this is the song. You just named the entire show we did. That was the entire Elton John. That was totally. song for song. That was the set list. Incredible. Well, then, and then they had three hits in the '80s, including "I'm Still Standing." Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I'm still standing, I guess that's why they call it the blues. And sad songs. Incredible catalog. It's incredible. Oh my god. So that's some background on their collaboration. But back to today's question. Would you rather be Elton or Bernie? For his part, Bernie says, I couldn't live Elton's life. I would rather drill myself in the head with a nail gun than do what he does. <laughs> well said. Elton and Bernie went on the Arsenio Hall show in 1992, <laughs> and Arsenio asked Bernie whether he was happy being out of the spotlight. 
Here's what he said. Let me ask you a question. Now, he's the famous one who everybody recognizes, pulls on, screams over. Do you ever wish that, that you weren't the behind-the-scenes guy? Have you ever wanted that kind of fame? No, no way. Not in a million years. He's more than welcome to it. I'm quite happy uh, the way I am. I'm very comfortable in my own skin. I get, I mean, throughout the last 25 years, the notoriety that he's, you know, allowed me to have. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm quite happy with the way things are, you know. I mean, as long as I have the avenues to create the way, you know, I can and do, you know, I'm just, I'm real happy with that. Agreed. Part of the magic of that partnership was how different they were. Hmm. Here's a clip where they talk about opposites attracting. Let me ask you a question. They say opposites attract. Yeah. Is that true when it comes to a writing team that's successful? I'd say so in our case. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I didn't know him to start with. I, I wrote uh, to his lyrics for um, quite a while before I met him, so I don't know. We are fairly different. In fact, Elton's extravagance seemed totally unnecessary to Bernie, and it was really annoying to Bernie. Did you ever feel that his sort of extravagant outfits were demeaning to the songs in some way? Or Yeah, at certain points I did. But at the same time, I've kind of come to grips with that over the years. I mean, do I feel that they were necessary? Up to a point, possibly. But then again, you know, it was a personal thing for him. It was almost, it was rebelling against what he wasn't allowed to do as a child. But no, did I enjoy him dressing as Donald Duck in Central Park? No, I, I found it was ridiculous. For Elton, the extravagance was about making the piano interesting and compelling on stage. I was sat at the piano, so I was going to dress up, and I wanted to dress up, and I wanted to uh, to make the piano do something, even though it's a nine-foot plank, so I jumped on it like Jerry Lewis. I stood up like Little Richard. I crawled under it. I lit it up. I did things. I danced on it. It's, you know, a guitarist can walk around the stage and do so many things. They can burn it. They can smash it. A lead vocalist is, you know, has... You know, I wasn't Rod. I wasn't Mark Bowen. I wasn't David Bowie. I wasn't Mick Jagger. I had to make something happen at the piano, and so I went for it, and I enjoyed every single minute of it. Yeah, makes sense. Smart, actually. We, as we often do, ask some of our regular contributors how they would answer this question. Let's listen to my bandmate, Brian Chartrand. That's kind of a head-scratcher. My inner introvert would obviously rather be Bernie and have, uh, you know, my little cottage in Wales and take my golden retriever uh, on walks and uh, live in relative anonymity. However, I do love touring, I do love performing. I guess I fall on the side of, I would much rather be Elton, be out there performing and feeling that energy. And I own a duck suit, so it's just a better fit. Thanks, guys. <laughs> nice. Nice, Fry. <laughs> you know what? We heard from one of my bandmates. Let's hear from my other bandmate, Greg Naughton, on what he had to say. Great. So, you know, not to diss Mr. Talpin, who's written some of the greatest pop lyrics. I think the genius here and the bankable, if you will, uh, talent is the music that Mr. John created with these lyrics. If he had just sung the phone book to many of those melodies that could possibly still have been hits. So on that level, purely skill talent, I'm going with Mr. John. On a personal level, quality of life level, I don't know. Might be pretty darn nice to be pretty Taupin, just cashing those checks, doing your work, and uh, not having the whole world uh, come at you all the time. So I'm playing both sides of the coin. Thanks, guys. So his argument is that the genius, the magic, is in the melody. Yeah. And that if he had given those lyrics to someone else, they would just be lyrics of a song. Whereas he gave those lyrics to Elton, and Elton made them a masterpiece. So they're just poems. They're just words on a page. But the question is, could Bernie play piano? Could Bernie play an instrument? Could Bernie sit down and write his own song. I don't even know the answer to that. No. He was just words. Yeah, in fact, he talks about being in the recording studio for a lot of those early albums, and he had nothing to contribute from a musical standpoint. When we started making 
the larger scale albums like the Elton John album, the Tumbleweed, Madman albums, which we made at Trident. I was always present, but I certainly wasn't musically equipped or electronically equipped to make any sort of uh, assessments of anything. Okay. He was there in case the lyrics weren't working or they needed additional lyrics, but he's not, he has no musical training. It's incredible, actually. Because in some of the other cases that we'll touch on today, there's a clear understanding that both members play instruments, both members write songs of these collaborative teams. But with Bernie and Elton, it's strictly music and strictly lyrics. Another way to look at this is who's happier? <laughs> what is happiness? Yeah. You know, obviously only they could answer that question, but let's look at some metrics that might help us infer happiness. Great. So Bernie's been married four times. <laughs> okay. His first three marriages ended in divorce. Wife one, five years. Wife two, 12 years. Wife three, five years. Wife four since 2004. So maybe fourth time's a charm for him. Okay. Come on, Bernie. Elton, there's no question that his journey of sexuality or reckoning with who he was was really painful. Yeah. In the late 60s, Elton was engaged to his friend Linda Woodrow. He married a German woman in 1984. And she said that she attempted suicide on their honeymoon after Elton apparently said he wasn't in love with her in that way. Oof. In 1993, Elton started a relationship with a former ad exec, David Furnish, and they became civil partners in 2005. And when same-sex marriages were legalized in, in the UK in 2014, they were officially married. Okay, that's, that's one metric. Okay. Some others. Elton has suffered from bulimia, Something that he and Princess Diana bonded over as it was a challenge that they both shared. Being in the spotlight, yeah. He was an alcoholic, a cocaine addict, but he's been sober for more than 30 years. What about wealth? <laughs> okay. Elton has an estimated net worth of $500 million. Good. Bernie's estimated net worth is over $200 million. Okay. So as Adam Sandler would say, not too shabby. <laughs> not too shabby. <laughs> it sounded like Peter Griffin right there. Not too shabby. It's not about the money, right? It is about the money. Is it about the money? Well, it's certainly about the money on some level. But after $100 million, you're pretty much okay, right? I had a friend who told me that $20 million is the sweet spot. Once you can make $20 million, you're good. You can do the things that you want to do. Okay, $20 million. So okay. that's my goal. <laughs> Okay, that's good. That's a good thing to work towards. But five hundred million, also a goal. That's a goal. Wow, that is it's an incredible amount of money that the lyricist earns. Now these are numbers from back in the day. We must remember too. Right. The lyricist of a song today is not making two hundred million in their career. That's true. The radio, the record sales, the whole industry was different. But separate issue. Good for Bernie for hitting while the at the right time. At the right time. Good for him. But, you know, Elton's had to work hard for that $500 million. Big time. Travel. Waking up at dawn to do radio show. Going to meet all these people and just be on all the time. And Bernie, meanwhile, I'm sure he works hard, but not that kind of hard. No, it's a different hard. He can work in a lounge chair in a bathing suit with a martini. Yes. And Elton can do the same thing, but in a <laughs> duck suit. <laughs> But the lifestyle of a famous rock star is unfathomable. Right. And from my personal standpoint, I think that would crush me. That's nothing to say of the stress of performing in front of 40 to 100,000 people. Yes. At that point, his whole organization is relying on him, and he gets a sore throat. If he gets sick, if he gets any sort of disease, he's got this whole, probably at this point, hundreds of people that are counting on him to survive, right? Where all Bernie's got to do is crank out some lyrics. It's not even comparable which lifestyle would be easier. Better, it depends on the personality, but it's certainly an easier lifestyle to be Bernie than it is Elton. Yeah, and, and you know, we talk about the money, yeah. it's lightly tongue-in-cheek, but the reason it's worth bringing up the $500 million versus $200 million is Bernie has made incredible fortune, but to your point, he doesn't have to deal with the trappings of fame. He could walk down a street 
in any city, and no one would know who he was. Elton can't do that. Yeah. All from answering an ad in a local music publication, right? Like, how lucky is Bernie? It's an incredible story. The odds that they would meet, it's the same odds as John and Paul growing up near each other. It's impossible that these two would meet. And yet, here we are, 300 million records later. Life comes down to stress, right? In a lot of ways. And stress comes in many different forms. So there's no question that Bernie had an easier work life. Yes. But it sounds like his personal life was probably going to be messed up either way. I imagine that Bernie was able to make friendships on a more level playing field than Elton. Like there's always this sort of sense whenever Elton is becoming friends with someone, like he's Elton John. Right. Right. And you're not. <laughs> right. And never will be. No matter what you do for or to Elton. Right? Like, that's the thing. It's everybody wants something. Everybody's got an agenda. Let's go to our buddy, Josh Panda. And before we do, we should say that Josh is a contestant on America's Song Contest, which is on NBC. He's representing the state of Vermont. Can we say anything more than that at this point? I think we can. I'm going to be on the show. You're going to be on the show along with him. I'm going to be on the show. So not only is Josh going to be on the show, but you're going to be performing alongside him. I will. I'll be playing guitar. That's really exciting. If you can, watch America's Song Contest. Look for Josh Panda and keep your eye out for Clint Bierman, who will be joining him on that show. So let's listen to what Josh had to say. Great. Hello, Rich and Clint. I really love this question, and I have been toiling over it since you asked me. You asked me about a week ago, and I think about it every day, and it's maybe one of the harder questions I've ever been asked. Because my sun sign is a Gemini, my moon sign is a Cancer, so my moon side wants to be Bernie and live a happy, quiet life, creating art, keeping to myself, but my Gemini side wants sequins and champagne and the lights and the stage and all that comes with it. And I'm so torn how to answer this question. But like it always does, my Gemini wins and I'm going to go with Elton. Give it to me. I'm going to go Elton. I think you always knew I was going to go Elton. There was really, that's the way it was going to be. I love y'all. Cheers. There's no question for him. There's no question in a million years for that guy. You know, what's interesting about Josh, and this is probably true of a lot of performers, he is simultaneously an introvert and an extrovert. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think he is finds a lot of joy and satisfaction in being in the spotlight, and you know, obviously he's so good at it. But I think he also is kind of a shy, quiet guy, and part of him would be really happy just being at home with his two kids. Agreed. In the intro... We mentioned Jerry Garcia and Robert Hunter as another example of incredible collaboration in songwriting. Yes. And like Bernie and Elton, Robert would write the lyrics and Jerry would put those lyrics to music. Mm-hmm. That for me is the closest comparison, at least in rock and pop music, right? It is a close comparison, except that Robert Hunter is also a guitar playing songwriter. And so... Here's how it goes. Okay. So they meet when they're 18 and 19 years old, respectively. Jerry is younger, and they started an acoustic duo. And they were gigging the scene in in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And then as soon as the jug band scene took over out there, which became really big, Robert left for New Mexico. And he moved to New Mexico and kept mailing lyrics back to Jerry. And once the dead was formed, 
Jerry asked Robert to come back to San Francisco to be the lyricist for the band. So he hitchhiked back, went to a rehearsal, and at that first rehearsal, the Grateful Dead was working on Dark Star, and Robert wrote the lyrics right then to Dark Star. Hugely famous Grateful Dead song, early Grateful Dead song. Here's one fascinating fact about their partnership is that Jerry often said how much he hated to write songs. So Robert would hand him lyrics and he would say, oh, God, now I got to go to work, which is amazing. So he said he'd rather throw cards into a pot all day than write a song. That's so interesting. Hilarious for me, right? Like, what's more fun than writing a song? Nothing. Nothing. And yet it was a burden, something he had to do. It was work. It was work. I took a lot of what I'm going to talk about from an interview with Robert Hunter by Alan Paul. It really gets into their relationship. So their collaboration generally started lyrics first. Robert Hunter would hand Jerry piles of lyrics, and Jerry would go through them, find a piece he liked, and marry it to some music he either had or he would write something new based on the lyrics. Mm -hmm. About once a year, Robert Hunter would put a big pile of lyrics in front of all the Grateful Dead members. He called this the Can You Dig This box. <laughs> so he and Bob wrote a bunch of tunes together. Here's the big difference. Jerry wouldn't change the lyrics. Jerry took the lyrics and worked the music to the lyrics, and Bob generally liked to have some sort of input and would try to change, oh, let's take the second half of this verse, put it in the first half of this, and Robert didn't really like that. Almost always lyrics first. There are a couple cases where Jerry wrote a melody and then Robert wrote the lyrics. Uncle John's band, Mm -hmm. the band pretty much had written the music for that, and then... Robert came in after the fact and wrote it. Come here, Uncle John's bed, playing to the tide. And sometimes he would work with the band at the same time, like Ramble on Rose was one of those. You know, he'd get done with a verse, hand it to him. They'd go through it, and then while they were doing that, he'd be writing the next verse. Wow. Just like Jack the Ripper, just like Mudge And then a couple times, he would be in the studio or be in a, in, a, in a place with Jerry, and Jerry would just start noodling on something. And Robert would get inspired by it, write to it in the moment, but then Jerry would totally forget it. And so Robert found that if he would record snippets of Jerry working, he could then write to that. Bring it back to him. Jerry would be like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. And one of those, So Many Roads, was written that way. So he says, sometimes you had to sneak up on Jerry to get a tune out of him. <laughs> Which is an amazing concept. So he asked Robert if he ever wanted to be a performer with the band. And this is sort of our episode today. Right. Because he could have been. He was basically in the band. He was a member of the band. He was on salary. Mm-hmm. He got the, the health care. He got the everything. So he said, it's a quote, I had my choice. I had my go at that, and it didn't work out for me. We were doing an album, and I was doing background vocals and stuff like that. We were recording China Cat Sunflower, and they were doing numerous takes. And Phil looked at me and said, can you ever sing the same line the same way? which is necessary when you're recording. There's an art to doing that. And I said, you know, I don't think I can. So that was the end of him being in the band. Their relationship is a little different than Bernie and Elton's in that Robert had a career. He had a music career. Mm-hmm. He made records. He wrote great songs on his own. He just happened to be the perfect lyricist for that band. Yes. Because he had that old-timey, country, psychedelic language that melded so well with what they were doing. It is as impressive to me as Elton and Bernie finding each other. 
but I just think it's a different relationship. And I think it's fascinating that both Robert and Bernie realize their place in the duo. You talked about money earlier. Robert Hunter's estimated net worth of his estate Mm -hmm. is $12 million. $12 million. The estimated net worth of Jerry's estate is apparently $40 million. Now, I have no idea how reliable those numbers are, but point is... Point is, pop music pays a lot better than jam band music. I think that's the point. All right, Clint, we have a new segment. Yes. It's called Let's Go to the Comments. Let's go to the comments. Before we get to this, Clint, I should also say... For anyone listening, all of the incidental music, our theme song, all of the music that we play that's not specifically artists that we're talking about, Clint Bierman wrote and produced and recorded all of this music. So I want to acknowledge you, Clint, as... Oh, man. Thank you. I love the music that we have on our show. I love our theme song. Thanks, buddy. All right. Back to... Let's go to the comments. (laughs) Nice. Nice. All right. In episode 36, Clint... We asked, what is the greatest year in music history? Remember this? I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure we got a lot of conversation about this. You know, interestingly, we heard from several people that were surprised that we didn't mention 1959 hmm. as the greatest year in music. Okay. I, in fact, I don't think we went earlier than... No. 66, maybe. Yeah. What was 59? 59 was a huge year if you're a jazz fan. Oh. 59 is viewed as the pinnacle of jazz. Okay. Give me the hits. Dave Brubeck's Time Out. Cool. Charles Mingus, Mingus Ah Um. Ornette Coleman's The Shape of Jazz to Come. Abby Lincoln's Abbey is Blue. Dream of a land my soul is from. I hear a hand stroke on a drum. Shades of Art Blakey's Monin. John Coltrane's Giant Steps. And Miles Davis, Kinda Blue. Oh, yeah. Okay, you named some big, big, big jazz cats. So for jazz, 1959 is a seminal year, and it was a career high watermark for several of that genre's biggest legends. Okay, I'm glad somebody brought that to us. We're not jazz experts. No. But man, listening to those snippets, there's no denying the greatness of those albums from 59. Amazing. Keep those comments coming. We'll bring this segment back. Let's go to the comments. Let's go to the comments. (laughs) Love it. All right, back to Bernie. Yep. A side note about Bernie as a lyricist. Obviously, he wrote a ton of hits for Elton, but he's also worked with a ton of other artists. One song in particular I want to mention, and going back to our episode on the greatest misheard lyrics. Okay. (laughs) You mentioned... My Pony Plays the Mamba. My Pony Plays the Mamba. For Jefferson Starship. Yeah. And We Built This City. Yeah. We built this city on rock and roll. This city. The actual lyric is Marconi Plays the Mamba. Bernie Taupin wrote those lyrics. Whoa. That's so great. But he's written for Willie Nelson, Emmy Lou Harris. Oh, wow. A bunch of other artists. That's interesting. 
So here's another clip from the Arsenio Hall appearance in 1992 when Arsenio asks about whether any of the songs that they've written together gives them chills. Huh? Uh, to be honest with you, when you first write a song uh, and, it, and you have the birth of a song, that gives you chills. Mm -hmm. And then, to be honest, when you play a song over a thousand times, it's hard to get chills, except on you know certain occasions. We just played yeah. in Mexico City. Um, we did two shows uh, at the Azteca Stadium, which no one's done before. Uh, that gave me chills. Mm -hmm. And that was the event, more so than the songs. You, I mean, I still like singing the songs, but when, it when you first write a song and you first think, this is the germ of something good, which usually comes when I get the lyrics first. You, you know, you, you get a batch of lyrics and you, and you sift through them and you think, oh, I like the look of this one. And uh, I don't know why it works, how it works, but it seems to. And then you get it and you, then you put the melody to it. Then that's exciting. Oh, that's cool. I think you and I can relate to that because we've talked about yeah. this before in our episode, Where Does a Song Come From? The magic moment of a song coming into the world. It's it's like no other feeling. It's palpable. It's like you can feel it in your skin. So this gets to my answer to this question. Okay. What is it, Richie? I enjoy performing. It's incredible privilege in my life that I get to play music with other people in front of an audience. But the joy that I find in writing music and recording music, actually making the song, that's what I'm interested in. And so for me, it's such an easy answer. I would much rather be Bernie Taupin. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and for you and I, getting to write songs together is my life's pleasure. That's like, yes. it's like I would want nothing more than that. Even when the songs don't see the light of day, it still fulfills this need, this this joy, this hunger that I have in my life. It's That is the sweet spot. You know what they say, find some sunlight, leave it in water, some blessing in order just grow. While we're on the subject of Bernie's lyrics, let's discuss some of his best. So I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea of these lyrics on a sheet of paper and having to sit down in the way that Elton did mm -hmm. and pick out of thin air a melody to match those lyrics. So here's a couple examples. Blue Jean Baby, L.A. Lady, Seamstress for the Band, Pretty Eyed, Pirate Smile, You'll Marry a Music Man. When you say it like that, it's interesting. It's it's so plain. Blue jean baby, LA lady, seamstress for the band. How about this one? I can't light no more of your darkness. All my pictures seem to fade to black and white. I'm growing tired and time stands still before me, frozen here on the ladder of my life. Oh, see, that's good. That's a great lyric. That's and then, of course, lyric. the melody that oh. Elton... And slowing it down so much and, and putting so much space in that lyric. I can't light no more of your darkness All my pictures Seem to fade to black and white I'm growing tired And time stands still before How about this one? You, you mentioned Yellow Brick Road. You know you can't hold me forever. I didn't sign up with you. I'm not a present for your friends to open. This boy is too young to be singing the blues. Right, that's from the line blues. You get that whole flourish. You know you can't hold me forever. 
That's what we're talking about. That's what's it's the marriage. It is the melody. Just hearing that one little lyric and then hearing the song, that's the genius of the collaboration right there. How about this one? It was written about Marilyn Monroe, but it could have been written about his friend Elton. And it seems to me you lived your life like a candle in the wind, never knowing who to cling to when the rain set in. Mm-mm. Great lyric. Great lyric. And it seems to me you lived your life like a candle in the wind. Never knowing who to cling to when the rain set in. One of my all-time favorite lyrics of Bernie's is from their song, Come Down in Time. Mm-hmm. Elton put this on his third record, Tumbleweed Connection. The lyric goes like this. In the quiet, silent seconds, I turned off the light switch. And I came down to meet you in the half-light the moon left. In the quiet, silent seconds, I, I turned off the light switch. And I, I came down to meet you in the half-light the moon left. While a, a cluster of night just sang some songs out of tune. Of bright light shone down from a roof. It's so good. Wow. And the melody is so good, too. Wow. It is just a genius, genius collaboration because Elton would say that those lyrics inspired something that would not have happened had he just sat down to say, I'm going to write a song. It was like 100% an idea or a mood or a cadence. And Elton was off to the races. It's amazing. Getting the lyrics and then writing the music completely changes the music because it puts you in a, a world. That's what Robert Hunter did so well. He, he created these worlds, these old worlds, these old-timey worlds. Right, like Friend of the Devil is a great example of that. I lit out from Reno, I lit out from which Reno, is just I... a great way of getting out of town. Right, I lit out. I lit out from Reno. I was trailed by 20 hounds. Didn't get to sleep that night till the morning came around. Set out running, but I take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. If I get home before daylight, I just might get some sleep. I lit out from Reno. I was trailed by 20 hounds. Didn't get to sleep that night till the morning came around. Yeah, it's I got a wife in Chino. Yeah, and one in Cherokee. First one says she's got my child, but it don't look like me. <laughs> That's a great lyric. Got a wife in Chino, baby, and one in Cherokee. First one says she got my child, but it don't look like me. Said I'll run, but I'll take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. But it's the language. I lit out from Reno. I was trailed by 20 hounds. Already you're like yeah. in a different world altogether. You're in a... It's a movie. I'm, it, it, I'm, yeah. Or a, it's a novel. I'm waiting to see like what's happening in it's this novel. It's an old dusty trail. Yeah. But back to yeah. Elton and Bernie... I was interested to see if I could find out what song Bernie was most happy with from their collaboration. He said this, Sacrifice is one of my favorite songs, if not the best song that we've ever written. Huh. Because I think it's a very good lyric with an exquisite melody and huh. has tremendous emotional impact too.
funny of all those songs i would not have thought sacrifice would be the song that they chose but you know as he says he was pleased with the lyric Mm -hmm. and he loved the melody that elton put to it yeah well what do you think look i think we did it (laughs) i think we did it i think it's up to everyone else to decide yeah our answer to this question i think you and i both agree you and i would both rather be bernie yes It'd be fun to be Elton every once in a while, but if you had to live the life of one of those two people, mm-hmm. we're, we're choosing Bernie. Mm-hmm. All right. We, All right. I think we did it. We hope you had fun, as much fun as we did, and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. question. Follow us on Instagram at the age-old question. Facebook, The Age-Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.